This is Steve Downs, the voice of Master Chief Sierra 117, with a shout out to the Xbox Expansion Pass. Keep your heads up during this time of isolation. Stay positive. Play some games. Most importantly, finish the fight. Thanks for listening to XEP. Master Chief, out. Welcome one, welcome all to episode 30 of the Xbox Expansion Pass, recorded on Sunday, May 3rd, 2020. I am your host, Luke Lore, the Insipid Ghost, and on this episode, we chat with Zach Weigel, the founder of the incredible charity Gamers Outreach, to discuss their ongoing efforts to bring gaming to children in hospitals. Jeff Keighley has announced the Summer Game Fest, of which Microsoft kicks off with an inside Xbox, and Game Pass broke many a record this past May. Of course, listener mail after that. Enjoy. Yet another week of gaming is upon us and behind us. Welcome to XCP, where we discuss all the goings-on of the Gamerverse as they pertain to the Xbox ecosystem. And yet again, another week where the Xbox ecosystem has been hit with a flurry of news and looks to me like it's going to be happening every week for the foreseeable future. Summer Game Fest was announced by Jeff Keighley as a four-month span of news and events from a variety of publishers and platform holders throughout this entire summer, and it will be an all-digital event, essentially replacing a lot of the coverage that we would have gotten via Gamescom, via E3, and a lot of the traditional meetup conventions that we get in the video game sphere. Now, if there is anybody to helm this activity, it is Jeff Keighley, who has done an incredible job with the Game Awards, an incredible job at uh, at one point being a part of E3, then distancing himself from it and creating his own thing, working with Gamescom. Jeff Keighley is somebody who... Uh, for all his time in the industry, is the right person to unite the industry in a number of methods of coverage. Remember, of course, that wonderful and beautiful moment on the Game Awards show floor where all three leaders of PlayStation, Xbox, and Nintendo stepped onto the stage together and discussed what gaming meant to the world, not just for their respective platforms and businesses. And it was under Jeff Keighley's banner that that took place. So there's a lot to be excited about in this all-digital event. Now, for context, this event runs from May through August and includes a number of updates from publishers like uh, Activision, Bandai Namco, Bethesda, Blizzard, Bungie, CD Projekt Red. Sony and Xbox are, of course, taking part. Interestingly, Nintendo seems to be abstaining from this at this given time, which is surprising. There are more publishers to be announced. Of course, I have my eye on Warner Brothers. WB is set to have something included in this four-month event. And you know uh, Luke Lore is very much hoping for a Batman title, so I'm excited for that. Now, it looks like we're going to see at least some of these titles announced in an inside Xbox that is kicking off this major event. uh, And that's taking place on May 7th. Thursday, May 7th at 11 a.m., and it will feature the first gameplay reveals for the Xbox Series X. And that is hugely exciting for a couple reasons. First, this inside Xbox will only be featuring third-party 
games. This is not Xbox Game Studio titles based on the information we have right now. So much so that Aaron Greenberg uh, went online and tweeted out kind of amidst all of this coverage to discuss some of the things that are going on. And he said that the live stream will focus on the company's third-party partners and the Xbox Game Studios teams are hard at work for some big summer plans with more details to follow soon. Now, we know for, for sure, and they've gone on to clarify in a couple of other articles, that uh, this first Inside Xbox, third party, not Xbox Game Studios, their major reveals are coming uh, down the line for this. And a lot of people are excited uh, and curious, and I would venture to say some are even nervous or anxious for what this means. Does, what, does, does this mean that all conventions are going to go the way of the Dodo later on because it, it, it might theoretically be cheaper? What if these go off without a hitch? Uh, in the Xbox world specifically, it's interesting to see that Microsoft is having an inside Xbox so close to their one not just a month ago at this point. And I think to, to say, when you look back at that inside Xbox, it is impressive that they did it, impressive that it was done well in this work from home, uh, but it didn't really have a whole lot of major announcements that were were exciting for a lot of different types of gamers and I have to imagine that uh, they knew full well that that would be the case but they were really working out the kinks and the methodologies for how they would go about working from home and providing coverage in an inside Xbox refining it for the in all seriousness and, and, and I don't think it's a stretch to say the far more important inside Xboxes where they talk about their third and first party uh, offerings on the Xbox Series X. Uh, and a lot of you wrote in with questions about this, and so I hand-plucked a few of them off the old Twitterverse. Again, if you want to be part of the show, you can uh, tweet at me at InsipidGhost on Twitter and let me know your thoughts or uh, if you have questions on any number of things. I love chatting with you guys uh, in the Twitterverse, and that's, that's, that's one of my favorite things to do. But Hypecaster wrote in with a couple, a couple questions about this uh, event. Uh, he said, I, I want to know your predictions for Thursday's Series X game reveals. Number of games shown. Uh, the first part of that, I, I don't know uh, as far as how many games are going to be shown, Hypecaster. Uh, I would say at least more than 15. Uh, and that is not to say that they would all get equal coverage, mind you. But if they're doing a third-party presentation in an, ex in an inside Xbox, I would imagine you have to have north of 15 games that vary in size and in scope. Uh, I doubt they're all going to be for Series X as well. I would imagine you get a couple first uh, or, or this generation uh, games. Maybe it's indie titles that are appearing on Xbox One, and then Smart Delivery will take them into Series X. Uh, we know that they're going to have uh, Assassin's Creed Valhalla will be there, and Assassin's Creed Valhalla, the latest Assassin's Creed title that was launched, or, or sorry, announced rather, uh, this past week. We'll talk about that in a moment. We know that's going to be there. So do we get all Assassin's Creed Valhalla-sized games? Absolutely not. I think you'll get a, a brevy of uh, indie, double, and triple-A titles from third parties and indies that will, will showcase themselves on an Xbox floor, for lack of a better term. Of course, they're not going to be on the show floor. Uh, what I find more interesting about this is not so much the, the number of games shown, but really who's comfortable working with Microsoft. And that brings me to your second question, Hypecaster. Uh, you said, are there any complete surprise or previously unannounced games that are going to be shown? Uh, and, and of course, I think you'll absolutely see games that are previously unannounced, and it's likely that they'll tease uh, more that they're going to showcase later on. It's more about showing that they are comfortable working with Microsoft, showing that they're building partnerships. Uh, Xbox has really been leading the charge into this summer's coverage uh, because they've been so brazen about showcasing their technologies, their subscription services, and what it is they have to offer. And they don't seem to be shying away from making marketing partnerships. Assassin's Creed Valhalla launched to huge acclaim and a lot, a lot of publicity 
And all over that marketing was Xbox, Xbox, Xbox. And uh, in, in years previous, they wouldn't have been as prominent or uh, Sony would have scooped up a number of those different things. They super, certainly scooped up uh, Bungie when they made Destiny uh, and Activision. They took Activision this past generation from uh, Xbox, which was once a – Call of Duty was a 360 thing at one point. And during the PS4 era, uh, it was all Call of Duty. So I think – that's what you should have your eyes on is seeing, all right, who's going to be working with Microsoft? Who wants to be on that stage working with them? Uh, who's comfortable on the business side of the partnerships or who thinks that the Series X will showcase their games well? That, to me, is the more interesting part of that. So as far as previously unannounced games, absolutely you'll see that. It's a matter of uh, how big, you know, how big is it going to be? Um, are you going to get something like an EA game uh, that's, that's in the Star Wars category? I do think you might see a Star Wars game this year. Given the fast announcement to, to launch of Jedi Fallen Order, it's quite possible you see uh, a Star Wars game launching this year or in the launch window of next gen. Uh, what, what, what type of game, I'm not sure. And I'm not talking about the Lego game, just to be clear. Do you see an Arkham game? WB is in the listings of Summer Game Fest. Do you see a WB Arkham-style game at this first Inside Xbox? For my money, no. I would imagine you save that for a bigger showcase, uh, more eyes on. But uh, at this point, when we're all digital and everyone's at home and starving for information, maybe it is the right time to do just that. Uh, We'll see. And then he asks, uh, any Series X price or release date details? Uh, I don't think you'll see any of that at this conference, but I don't think this Inside Xbox is at all going to be related to, to pricing or release dates or anything of that nature. But good questions, Hypecaster. Thank you for, for writing in there. Um, Bill uh, Coniglio, I think I pronounced that wrong last time, Panig- Bill Coniglio, and thank you for You wrote in and let me know how to pronounce your name, and I hope I got it right that time. He asks, do you think we see any Megaton announcements on the 7th? Uh, I'd like to see more infinite details and maybe a date that I don't expect anything new to, to knock my socks off. Um, Bill, I kind of answered that just a second ago when I was answering Antonio's question. No, I don't think you see Megaton news, but I do think you see a few big games that you weren't expecting, per se. You might get one big announcement, Batman, Star Wars, a major franchise that's uh, going to be showing up, but I think you'll also get a few out to day titles maybe Battletoads we certainly haven't heard from Dalala in quite a while and uh, by technicality they are not a first party studio there's their second party Dalala is working with Rare but maybe you see an out today is Battletoads uh, you know maybe a Devolver digital title we've heard about Carrion for some for some weeks now I think they're at the XO19 showcase back in oh goodness November at this point Carrion was showed to be launching day and date into Game Pass and we've yet to see that from Devolver Digital uh, I've emailed them and reached out, and they've not yet been able to provide information. So uh, I think you get one or two big announcements there, but as far as bombshells, goodness, I, I don't – I think it's possible. I don't think it's likely. You want to have a season premiere. You want to have a season fin- uh, finale for for Summer Game Fest, and I think Keeley knows that. I think Xbox knows that. And so they want to have something good in there, uh, and I hope that something good isn't just more Assassin's Creed Valhalla news because they got their own reveal, and that was awesome, and I think it's exciting to see. But I think it we need a little bit more there. So uh, all eyes are on the 7th. There's no doubt about that. And they're on the 7th for a number of reasons, not just the inside Xbox, more how does Summer Game Fest go about supporting this inside Xbox? How do they go about connecting and working with Microsoft in showcasing their event? Because Keeley is positioning this to be the major replacement and the major link up for the whole industry to come together. And how much he supports one versus another might be uh, telling as to the types of relationships being built. But Keeley's certainly very talented at that, and there's nothing to take away from that. 
Perhaps more eyebrow-raising than anything else in this past week were statistics revealed from Xbox about their Game Pass services and the number of subscribers they have on that service and just how much May during COVID-19 influenced the gaming sphere. It has been announced and confirmed that there are 10 million-plus Game Pass subscribers across 41 countries. There are 10 million people subscribed to the service of Xbox Game Pass. That uh, certainly stands to reason uh, an incredible ba- an incredible user base. Now you have to imagine, of course, that there are roughly 50 million Xbox Ones on the market. One in five users is using Game Pass. But that doesn't tell a full story. If we step back from that a minute, we recognize that Game Pass is available also on PC, and the measurements there, how many people on console versus PC, how many people are using Ultimate, and they're a part of both. There's a lot of, of wishy-washiness in there, but it is certainly nothing to, to blink twice at that 10 million people have access to 100-plus games that Microsoft is capable of curating, not just first-party titles. I mean, you've got games in there that, that stack up with, with uh, Halo, The Witcher, Sea of Thieves, uh, Ori and the Will of the Wisps. Those are all in there. A lot of family-friendly titles like Kingdom Hearts is also in there. Now, that there's, there's something for everyone in Game Pass, and 10 million people are in the door on a number of games. That has to speak and bode well for whatever Halo Infinite has down the line, that they have out the gate, without selling any copies of Halo Infinite, they have a potential 10 million plus player base to try out their game. And retention and lifespan and, and whether or not it becomes an evergreen title for people will, will perhaps play into the type of content you get. But 10 million, player, 10 million players subscribe to a service uh, is pretty darn impressive. That's a revenue stream that I don't believe any of the competitors in the first party space can compete with at this point. And uh, that's a good thing. When you look at console sales, it's certainly been a frustration point for Microsoft fans uh, for a number of years at this point. Goodness gracious. So to have that revenue stream generated outside of Games with Gold or or Xbox Live Gold certainly bodes well for the future, and it really points to the fact that Game Pass and Xbox are no longer meant to be hardware-gated. It's no longer meant to be the box under your TV. It's, do you have xCloud? Do you have a PC? Do you have a console? Any and all of these things can bring you Xbox Game Pass, and these are are, are things that are exciting for, for goodness. I'm excited because I want to see what the future holds. I recently talked about how my game or my computer cannot play Gears of War Tactics. Does xCloud bring that service? Does it get bundled in later on with PC? Am I able to play that way? I know I'll be able to play it on console at some point, but Game Pass offers me Gears Tactics. How many people jumped into Gears Tactics this past week and played it when they never would have bought it and then found out, oh, I like it, or I'm interested in Gears of War, or this world's neat, I want to try the other games. That's the power of having that user base. Now, mind you, they didn't just reveal Game Pass numbers. That would be just a pretty short blog overall, and it was Phil Spencer that wrote this over on the Xbox Wire. Uh, There's also information that says since March, mind you, when the majority of uh, the United States and many other countries dropped into COVID-19 restriction procedures, and this no doubt had an impact on the number of games that people were playing, trying out, and the friendships they were making as they social distance, they certainly seem to reach out and want to socialize with people from the comfort and safety of their own home. 
Since March, Game Pass members have added over 23 million friends on Xbox Live. That's up 70% in terms of growth rates, meaning that people are connecting. They're grouping up for raids. They're battling the Covenant together. They're jumping into races with one another. They're setting sail with one another. They're building friendships in a, a digital way because real life at this moment doesn't allow them to go out and perhaps enjoy the same level of socialization. I find that to be heartwarming, exciting, and interesting to see that that might be bringing in even more revenue streams if people are multiplayer gaming. I wonder on a business side if there's not a an accidental boost in money made because if I'm like, hey, I've got this access to this game online, you don't have Game Pass, you can either buy it or you can jump into Game Pass and we can be friends and play. There's got. I wonder if there's a boost in that. Uh, Game Pass members, according to the same article, Game Pass members are also playing twice as much as they were before and they're engaging in more multiplayer games and multiplayer has gone up by over 130%. Uh, if you don't see that as a testing of servers and Azure Cloud and all that, I don't know what is because that's a great that's great news for right now pre next gen because it sounds to me like they'll be able to continue working out the issues in their networking and refining it for the potential use of, of xCloud everywhere uh, that that to me is exciting I have noticed throughout my gaming time and since March that I've seen little hiccups in Xbox Live my friends list won't load or won't be able to connect with parties right away or little kickouts here and there. Uh, overall, it's been pretty smooth, but these things are great litmus tests for for something that's coming later on. Uh, and more more stats because I just I find this so exciting. After joining Game Pass, people play forty percent more games than they were prior, and more than ninety percent of those members play a game that's outside of their typical genre, meaning they play a game that they wouldn't have tried otherwise had they not had Game Pass. That's dope. That's really cool. This past week, I downloaded Streets of Rage 4, a game I might have been bullish to pay 25 bucks for, but I'm playing it. People can try out games like HyperDot. I think a lot of people are probably loving HyperDot and haven't played that before, or rather, haven't played that genre, wouldn't buy that genre, but they have access to it. Demon's Tilt is in Game Pass. It's a pinball game. Are you guys checking out new things in that world of Game Pass? I, I love the idea that you're expanding yourself because... And the type of gamer that I am, I play lots of different things. One of the questions I hate most, uh, because I always have a bad answer to it, is, you know, well, oh, oh, cool, you're a gamer. What games do you play? And I'm like, a lot, all of them. I mean, do you want to talk to you about Darksiders for an hour? How about if I talk to you about Battlefront 2 and how far that game's come? I also enjoy Call of Duty too, a little bit, but really it's Halo that I like. And I like Gears, and of course Halo Wars is great. And I just played Syndicate on Back and Pat and Arkham Orton. You know, like, how do you answer that question when, when you're somebody that plays lots of games and game pass opens the door to do that so uh, it just makes me i guess excited to see and then one last piece of information like on that whole game pass article and of course they're they're plugging and touting their service but i think they have a reason to 30 percent of the games on game pass are considered family friendly if you're a parent that has to bode well for investment if you're a dad who plays xbox a mom who plays xbox and you've got your son or daughter around the house and you're stuck in the house and you have you know 30 percent of those games are like hey you can sit down next to me and and try this game you can play or you can play kingdom hearts you can play this that that's got to be uh, neat to say the least i'm curious to you wonderful listeners if there's a game on Game Pass you tried and you wouldn't have liked or you didn't expect to like and you did like it, or a game that you would never would have tried but you like, I'll give it a shot and it still wasn't for you, like like Game Pass successes and failures, what did you try that you wouldn't have tried before? And then what was the result of that? If you could tweet at me at Insipid Ghost, let me know uh, what you think on that one. 
Assassin's Creed Valhalla was announced. Many people suspecting due to, to rumors and suggestions, even its own, even a suggestion that was left into the Division 2 saying, hey, this look, looks like it'll be the next Assassin's Creed game. Uh, a lot of people thought it was going to be codenamed Ragnarok uh, because of that Viking uh, aesthetic that seemed to accompany a lot of the teases. But the name has been revealed, and it is Assassin's Creed Valhalla. It's coming this holiday across all platforms and goodness like the list of platforms is nuts xbox series x playstation 5 xbox one playstation 4 stadia windows pc uh, exclusively on both the epic game store and ubisoft store it'll also be available through an ubisoft subscription service called uplay plus man there is no doubt that when ubisoft makes a game at the launch of a system, they want it everywhere. For goodness sakes, they were all over the Wii U at launch. And so uh, that is their strategy, a business strategy, and it certainly seems to be working for them. Uh, it'll be, what I'm interested to see is because Assassin's Creed Valhalla will have smart delivery, meaning if I buy it on my Xbox One, it'll upgrade to Series X once I get a Series X. I'm curious to see the numbers on that and more how NPD handles that. Uh, will they just say Assassin's Creed Valhalla sold uh, X amount on the Xbox, X amount on the PlayStation, X amount on this. How do they do that? I mean, I'm not going to buy a Series X version of Assassin's Creed Valhalla. I'm not going to buy a Xbox One version. I'm going to buy Assassin's Creed Valhalla, and then it'll just, just smart deliver as I like. So I'm curious to see how the NPD reacts to stuff like this. Uh, a lot of questions right now whether or not you know Xbox's primary console competitor, PlayStation, is going to have smart delivery. Uh, mind you, PlayStation, they pioneered cross-buy, meaning if I bought the game on Vita and it also was on PS4, or if I bought the game on PS3 and it was also on PS4, I got it, I had it, uh, which is a similar concept to smart delivery. It's not the same thing, but it's a similar concept to smart delivery. I wonder how PlayStation is approaching that. That's, that's again, that's one of the cooler things to check out and look at through this generation is how one console's managing to get great visuals versus another's managing to get great visuals. You know, is one, is it an efficiency route? Is it a brute strength route? Are they both doing what they want to do? Um, well, I have this Xbox show and I examine analytically the Xbox ecosystem because it's my preferred console. I have no ill will towards any other. I I don't understand that mentality, I suppose, when somebody likes one system, it means you dislike another. I don't subscribe to that. So I'm stoked for more games and, and better looking games and, and better load times. I'm stoked for all that. Uh, but it'll neat, be neat to see how those cross-platform games or, or cross-gen games, how they all mix and match with another. Will I be able to play Valhalla in multiplayer with all its customization options against my buddies on PlayStation? Uh, will, will there be any of that? Now, uh, there's more in this in Valhalla. It is a Viking setting. It takes place in the England Dark Ages. You will be raiding people. You can play as a male or female. Uh, you can build relationships as we've been wont to do with Assassin's Creed Origins and Odyssey. Uh, I'm really interested in a number of these these elements because it's gone more RPG-esque because it's become an action RPG in many ways. Uh, one of the things I loved about Origins was that I could OP myself by I could be uh, leveled up and, and be awesome. And then in odyssey that wasn't the case however i recently learned that you can adjust that now odyssey offered in something where they didn't have level scaling any longer and that speaks to ubisoft's ability to continuously respond to player feedback i have re-downloaded odyssey just to go back in and turn off level scaling because uh, I, I think that's i like being overpowered in games uh, for sure 
In last week's episode, I argued that Games with Gold needed to go the way of the Dodo. It was not meant to be a a diss to the service. I think it's silly when people complain about free games. I'm seeing uh, petitions pop up for PlayStation Plus to adjust its games because the gamers weren't happy with that. That's silly. Uh, I'm not a fan of that. You're playing. You're paying for the online infrastructure. The free games are just a method of of enticing people to, to jump in. Um, so I don't subscribe to that idea. However, I think my argument for getting rid of games with gold was a sound one, and I haven't gotten a ton of feedback one way or another on it. The idea of ridding games with gold uh, in favor of bringing that, that a replacement service of xCloud, meaning if you're subscribed to, to Xbox Live Gold, you get xCloud access to your library. I, I, I wonder if that's realistic. Uh, I still want to know what that is, but... but I did want to say, like, whether you like the games or not, petitioning people? Starting a petition? Come on. That's silly. That's silly. The games with gold for May are V-Rally 4, Warhammer 40,000, Inquisitor, which looks like a... It looks like Darksiders Genesis in some ways in terms of, like, the, the play style. Uh, Sensible World of Soccer for 360, and Overlord 2 for 360, and that's a, a mix and match of games. They certainly had a lot of racing games in Games with Gold, uh, which must have, it must have an audience, and they, I mean, they see the numbers of what kind of games people play. There have been a lot of strategy games and building games, so maybe that's why Overlord's in there. Uh, I'm curious about Warhammer. I'm curious about Sensible Soccer, what made them jump in. Uh, but cool. I mean, that's that's fine. I like adding to my library. And if, if nothing else, my backlog continues to grow uh, for the best reasons. And, and that's that's always fun. Uh, one person wrote in and asked what I've been playing lately. And I've been playing a lot for a few reasons. Now, uh, my friend Mr. Badbit, the host of the Trophy Room, and, and my good friend Kevin Butler, we have been playing through the Halo campaigns in preparation for Infinite because we've got downtime. We're all stuck at home uh, with either layoffs, furloughs, or, or in my case, work from home. Uh, we've got time, and so we played through Halo 3 campaign, the three of us, on Heroic. We played through Halo Reach on Heroic, and we just finished Halo 4 on Heroic and had an absolute blast. Uh, one and two in the Master Chief Collection are not three-player. You can only play them with two. But it has been really neat as a retrospective to see where Halo uh, kind of started along its way, where it's going. We play a lot of Halo Wars 2 as well. Um, but I'm having a blast with it. I really loved Halo 4's story. That was a great story, and I love the armor in that. I put out a tol- poll on Twitter asking what pe- which armor people liked, Halo 3 or Halo 4 armor. I like the Halo 4 armor myself, 4 and 5. That Ar- Iron Man style I think is really, really cool. Um, but it looks like they're going to a more sleek, slimmed-down version with Infinite that will match... Uh, and be similar to Halos 1 through 3, which is, is fine. Um, I don't think Halos 1 and 2 age well. I think it's nostalgia that gets people to put those into their favorite categories, uh, as opposed to, like, functionality. Playing through them, even Halo 3 felt very dated, uh, whereas Halo 4 feels in- incredible. Now, I will tell you also, just because we're doing this retrospective, it was neat to see Reach after having it been redone and be like, man, this looks so good. It, and it looked incredible. But then to play Halo 4, which was kind of the send-off of the Xbox 360, to play that in the Master Chief Collection and look at the upscaling in 4K and then play it with a nice, good headset on. I was wearing a, an Arctis 9X, which is it's an expensive headset, admittedly. Um, that was really cool to, to go through and experience that and see all the stuff that was packed into that Xbox 360 game. That it, The system was really impressive for doing, but that it didn't really bring it out. The Master Chief Collection, goodness, it's come a long way. If you're not a Halo fan, still try out Reaching 4. I think you'd, you'd find a lot of fun, particularly during your downtime. If you're new to Game Pass or new to Halo, uh, try those out. Uh, 
I've also been playing Deliver Us to the Moon. Goodness, that game was absolutely wonderful. I had an absolute blast with it. It's a, a wonderful game for this, this period of downtime when everything's very stressful. To play Deliver Us to the Moon is to play not a walking simulator, but an exploration game where you solve some puzzles along the way, you do a lot of narrative exploration, you learn about what's going on in this particular event that, that brings you to the moon and why you're there. As you try to save and go through an emotional story, it's a walking simulator that's not a walking simulator. You are not walking in simulator. You are solving things. There's action in it, but it's not It's not a Call of Duty-esque type action game. I really encourage you to check it out. In the first hour, you'll know exactly what you're getting for the, the remaining four hours. It's a short game. It's a beautiful story. It's well-written. It's well-acted. Uh, there's a few there's a few control hiccups along the way, but I am so glad this game is on Game Pass because I would not have tried it otherwise, and I found great joy in it. It's it's wonderful, and I uh, I reached out to the developers to, to to chat with them as as in one of the many interviews, and they their schedule is packed at the moment, unfortunately, but it was neat to see that this was game was on PC. Hey, some acclaim, sure, but then it hit Game Pass, and a lot of attention went to it, and. It just made me happy uh, for that to happen. So try to deliver us to the moon as well. The last thing I've been playing is the Modern Warfare 2 remake, and I, I don't want to talk too much about that. I'll just say that uh, I'll have a review in the works. That'll be down the line. Uh, it's, the game's good. It's the same as it was. just looks better, and, and that's a, a very high compliment. It played very well. Let's go now to listener questions. I know we answered a few of them early on, but let's tackle a few more because this is my favorite part of the show. Mr. Boomstick XL writes in, and I should say I've had a great old time uh, guesting on Mr. Boomstick XL's YouTube page. You guys should be looking into him. He's, he's a fun content creator for the Xbox community. And he says, with the rumored Xbox Series S being discless, what do you think the pricing is going to be? I do not know if Lockhart is real or the Series S is real. Boom. I don't know uh, what's happening there. I know a lot of people say they have inside information and this is happening. That's not happening. Uh, with with even more speculation as to the Xbox Series X ramping up into full production now. Uh, if I'm Microsoft, I don't release that Series S right away. I hold off on that uh, for my second or third major exclusive down the line. Uh, to bring a a cost-effective alternative onto the market. But for now, I focus on getting in the early adopters uh, to the higher price console, to the best visuals, so that that's the narrative. Um, I think whatever it is, if there is a second system and it is indeed discless, uh, cool, that's awesome. I don't use discs hardly at all anymore. Uh, but there needs to be a healthy $200 price difference between them. A three and $500 system is, is uh, most likely in this case. Microsoft seems to be willing to eat cost on the Series X, uh, and so if they get it under $500, that is even better. Uh, I know 500 is what I'm mentally budgeting for, uh, and a Series S does not appeal to me at this point, but, but if you're trying to appeal to a market that's not going to pay 500 not likely to pay 400 you need to be at three. You just need to be at three so that any of your sales on it drop down to the 250 range. You get that's how you get people in, uh, is by being cost effective. The Wii taught us that when it launched alongside the, goodness, was it was it the 360 and the PS, the PS3 was the Wii era. Yeah, the Wii was significantly cheaper and people bought into that despite it only having one launch game in Twilight Princess, one good launch game in Twilight Princess. Red Steel was there, but yeah. uh, so it goes. Garrett Bland writes in with a wonderful question, and this piggybacks a little bit into Booms. He says, uh, with Halo being the only confirmed first-party launch title uh, for the Series X, does Xbox need more console launch exclusives? I was thinking of bringing at least two more games that can reach a wide-range audience. 
Great question, Garrett. Uh, no, no, they don't. They need one major game to showcase the system that they can rely on for indies. Uh, then they can rely on indies and third parties and upscaled Game Pass games to showcase the system. But no, they only need one major launch title that is Series X, and that's their showcase piece. And I cite the Wii having Twilight Princess. I cite the Switch having uh, the Breath of the Wild. I cite uh, the PlayStation 4 for utilizing that indie strategy and then bringing out uh, infamous infamous Second Son in that launch window. My suggestion would be to have one system seller at launch, meaning the, the Halo Infinite, and then around their next system seller, maybe two months, three months out, then uh, you start bringing it in. That way it works along the lines of production waves so that all those people at Christmas getting that, that Xbox Series X, they're downloading Halo. Focus them in on Halo. Focus them in on those new indie games. Don't spread it between 8, 9, 10, 20 launch games. That's something Phil Spencer talked about because then they don't all get the attention. How many people played Resogun and Contrast on PS4 when it launched? Because those were the only real new games. How many people tried DC Universe Online because it was on their PS4 and they, they needed PS4 stuff? How many people played Black Flag? Uh, there's, there's stuff there to, to look at. So I would say Xbox or Halo needs to be the, the launch title, and then two to three months out, you've got another one. Maybe then's your Forza. That's your new Forza game. That gets people in. Okay, maybe then a two or three months later, then you've got another uh, big game that, that's showcaseable. Uh, and and do it with different genres. Balance your genres. Don't try and have every single genre at launch or in launch window. That's a scary prospect. You need people to buy in later on. That's something you see with Switch as well. How many people bought Switches for Animal Crossing because that's a genre that was unfilled on that system? Uh, Smash did the same thing. And so that would be my suggestion is to, to wait and stagger your games a bit more. Game Pass has taught us that we'll have uh, one to three console exclusives uh, in that service every few months. So so do that. That would be my suggestion. Jason C. writes in, he says, with Xbox shooter games expanding into RTS and turn-based games, can you think of other Xbox exclusives that could be done in other genres prior to their, or other than their original one? That's a fantastic uh, question, uh, Jason. I, I love the idea that Halo Wars exists for Halo. I want to see Halo actually go into the third-person realm. I think a third-person action traversal game would be wonderful, something maybe Metroidvania-esque. Think Arkham-esque, but in the Halo universe. Every time I pick up weapons in Halo where I'm seeing myself in third-person, it looks so good. I'm like, oh, I want more of that. There was a rumored, uh, goodness gracious, what's the Mega Bloks game that featured Halo pieces that that showed them in third-person? That'd be cool. Uh, I love also that, that Gears is finding success with Gears Tactics. People seem to love that game, so that's a good sign. Uh, but but in my mind, I want Jade Empire. You know, Jade Empire would be really cool to be transferred into a full-on RTS that's deeper than Halo Wars and, and Gears Tactics. Maybe put it into a full Age of Empires mode. We know Age of Empires uh, is showing up on, on Xbox PC platforms and doing well there. Maybe, maybe bring that into Jade Empire. That'd be kind of a neat concept. And finally, not a question, but I did get a super cool note from Betterman77 who uh, gave me a shout-out and, and said that, that how, how cool it was that Steve Downs did the opening to the show. And uh, I appreciate that, Betterman. I hope you're doing well and enjoying the show. And big thanks for listening. And really and truly, that's what that's uh, the coolest part for me. I'm glad you liked it. It was uh, an easy choice, man, with that with him doing COVID relief for Project Cure uh, with his cameos. And then, of course, I'm such a huge Halo fan that it, it meant the world to hear him say the words Xbox Expansion Pass uh, in Master Chief's voice. So that's that was a pleasure. But I'm glad you enjoyed it, my friend. And I hope you can t- continue to enjoy many episodes to come. 
And on that note, lastly, if you are a new listener, do take the time to go check out some of the previous episodes we've had. I do. I work hard to try and bring in cool uh, guests to expand our knowledge of the Gamerverse. The developers of Sparklight were the very first guests we had on this show. Ben Rivers joined us. Then we had uh, Christian Cooper from Steel Series. We had Rebecca Valentine from GamesIndustry.biz. Uh, Steve Philby of Motion Twin. Andrea Renee. Mike Bithel showed up. Uh, I hope you enjoyed all of those guests and are, are willing to continue supporting it and expanding your knowledge of the game industry. For now, though, I want to, to take you into one of the coolest and more interesting interviews I've had in a long time with Zach Weigel. He's the founder of Gamers Outreach. Now, Gamers Outreach works really hard to bring video games to kids that are in con- in hospitals for long terms, bringing bringing entertainment to those who are stuck in the same room for days, weeks, and months, sometimes even years at a time. Gamers Outreach works to bring gaming carts into different rooms, bring games that are uh, uh, friendly for families and also for older kids. There's sort of a lost demographic in the teenagers that are stuck in children's hospitals, and we talk about that. We discuss a, a lot about what kind of games can kids play? Should they play a game where it says you died and there are kids suffering from a terminal illness? We talk about the morality and the philosophy in that. Zach was a wonderful guest, and I think you'll find that our tone was a bit more informal than some of the other interviews we've had, uh, and that was just by way of enjoying Zach's company. He was, he was a great guest to have on. Uh, I did my best to clean up some of the audio. Skype has been a bit odd of late with, with uh, work from home and the stresses on the networks, but I hope you enjoy what is there. If you would like to reach out to Gamers Outreach, uh, search for them on the old Googleverse and in the social medias, and there are ways to donate and support kids that are in those hospitals uh, and provide support for them, games for them. There are there are a number of financial and otherwise ways to support those efforts and kind of help that make that time more manageable for those kids. And of course, Zach will, will bring more light onto those situations as well. That is it for me. If you're willing, please rate the show on your old iTunes or whatever it is, whatever service you use. Thank you for, for following the show. Take care, everybody. All righty, guys. We are very fortunate now to re- to welcome Zach Weigel, founder of Gamers Outreach. Zach, welcome to the show, and thank you for being here. Hey, thanks for having me, Luke. I really appreciate it. Well, I've been excited to talk to you for, for quite some time. Gamers Outreach, of course, a very important... Uh, entity i guess in, in the gaming verse tell me what gamers outreach is and how it started yeah well gamers outreach is a charity organization that helps make video games uh, available and easy to manage in hospitals so we're basically focused on helping kids have fun uh during periods of times in their life where they're really limited uh, and they don't have access to recreation or activity like normal kids do so we mm-hmm. think of ourselves as an organization that is focused on quality of life in the hospital environment. Mm -hmm. And what that means is, you know, if you go to the most hospitals nowadays, there's a lot of emphasis on research and treatment. And that definitely makes sense, right? You know, the priority, I think, when you go to the hospital is to get out of the hospital. That's the Mm -hmm. whole point. Uh, But because of that, sometimes quality of life takes a back seat and the overall patient experience really suffers. Uh, You know, oftentimes kids uh, are some, well, Sometimes we're working with kids that are stuck in their rooms for many months, uh, mm-hmm. long periods of time, and maybe because of infrastructure in the hospital, uh, they might not have access to uh, gaming. It might be really difficult for them to even use the internet. Maybe their mobile phones aren't working that well. And so what you can do in these facilities is sometimes quite limited. And we're trying to go into these places and help make entertainment content available so that kids can have access to fun, can socialize with friends, 
and do all the things that you know we enjoy in our daily lives when we're not in the hospital as video game enthusiasts. Mm-hmm. So that's our big focus. I mean, we're really uh, we really identify, I think, as a, a gaming brand that happens to work in the hospital environment. Mm-hmm. And uh, we got started about twelve or thirteen years ago now. And at the time, I was a high school student, and I was organizing video game tournaments. Uh, I had mono one summer. And it wasn't bad enough where I was in the hospital or anything myself, but just like I ended up getting really good at Mortal Kombat <laughs> over mm-hmm. these like two months where I was sort of missing sports practice and just didn't feel well enough to go outside and uh, developed an interest in hosting competitions and video game tournaments from it. And um, my events started kind of growing organically. I was hosting these tournaments for my fellow high school students and friends. And um, I ended up organizing a Halo tournament that was shut down by a police officer who believed video games were corrupting the minds of America's youth. No way. Yeah. And this is like, this is like 2007, 2006. So like, kind of like the Jack Thompson era of video games. If you remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Lawyer that, I mean, Mortal Kombat was his bitch thick. He was petitioning the Senate all the time to, to get rid of violent video games. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Anytime, you know, so back in the day, you know, anytime something crazy happened in the news, it, it was a matter of hours before there was some expert on television, usually it was Jack Thompson, mm-hmm. uh, who was blaming any act of violence on video games. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he particularly, you know, was frequently on the news. Uh, I mean, he was a, a major critic of, you know, Grand Theft Auto, Mortal Kombat, ironically, which is the game that I got really good at. <laughs> he led mm-hmm. me to create a gamers average. Uh, so... You know, as a video game enthusiast, I had always grown up uh, involved in, quote, normal extracurricular activities, right? Like, played sports, had okay grades, uh, but my dad, um, you know, was an engineer, and we always had computers growing up around the house, and so it was just very natural for me to, like, come home and play video games, you know? We, mm-hmm. we, it was what we had, it was, it was normal. My younger brother and I, for better or worse, had no limits on screen time, <laughs> so we would just, we would come and home and game. And, uh, you know, I was really frustrated when my event got shut down because, you know, again, I I always have grown up with these like negative perceptions around gaming and the gaming community and culture, uh, which I believe weren't true. You know, like Mm -hmm. even nowadays, sometimes people use the word escapism uh, Mm -hmm. to describe gaming as an outlet. And I think most of the time they mean, well, I don't mean to be too nitpicky over, you know, words, which I know can be difficult not like people say the exact right thing all the time and things are interpreted all the ways. But, you know, to me, when I think of, uh, you know, gaming, I I see it as being additive to my life. Mm -hmm. Like I'm not, I'm not escaping anything when I play video games. In fact, I'm, I'm using games as a way to enrich my life. And when Mm -hmm. I play video games, I'm, uh, you know, maybe I'm socializing with uh, friends that are, you know, live now living far distances away. Uh, I'm, I'm really engrossed in a story right now. I'm like, uh, obsessed with Final Fantasy Remake and Final Fantasy VII Remake, and I've been like every weekend for the last month. I've been just like reading, catching up on like 23 years worth of lore. So mm-hmm. you know, I, I love video games. I, I think it's you know an incredible medium, um, and through games you can play, you can explore, you can build, create, and you know even the idea that games are like antisocial, right? Like this old idea of like. Uh, video games are basement dwellers or something you know i i mean i definitely will say i i played a lot of video games in my parents basement in my pjs for sure <laughs> but like mm-hmm. you know to me uh I, that was me socializing right like i would get online and play games with people who were my friends and then i sure. would also 
you know, maybe see them in person as well. So I, I don't think the internet, I definitely don't think the internet or gaming is a replacement for social activity. I think it's a supplement to social activity. Um, that, that additive nature you were talking about. A hundred percent. That's then that, I think there's been this sort of like mischaracterization of, of gaming because it's easy for parents to sort of see this new medium. Um, and I think this is happening less nowadays, but yeah, at one point it was, I think very easy for parents to see this new medium of tech and, um, sort of brush it off or think their kids are sort of wasting their time and, and really not take the time to engage with what their kids were interested in. Mm -hmm. And I'm not a parent yet, so I can't fully empathize with this, honestly, but um, I can definitely say from my standpoint, when I was growing up, both my mom and my dad always took a genuine interest in whatever it was my younger brother and I were doing. Mm -hmm. And were very encouraging towards us, like taking those interests and developing them into some sort of, of, of skill or hobby or, 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 or work even that we might be able to pursue. Um, so we could explore what we were excited and passionate about. So I think that's healthy and I don't mean to go on that rant, but that's just my philosophical way of how I sort of approach all this anyway. Um, and so when our, when did video you run into that, did you run into that as a, that mindset as you were trying to develop gamers outreach, like running into, to stop gaps or, uh, hurdles that you had to get over in that, that realm? Yeah, for sure. And in multiple ways too. Um, you know, it, it started around, I'd say, so the short answer is that we, uh, in addition to kind of building our organization and the services we offer, uh, we've definitely been fighting a cultural battle along the way. And I think the battle has gotten easier for sure over time, or at least, you know, I think maybe we've gotten better at explaining, you know, what it is we're doing or advocating for it. But I'd say it initially started in, in two ways. The first was um, generally how we explain our work to people. And I think going through the exercise of educating supporters or um, uh, different partners that we maybe worked with. So in our case, like our, we have an annual fundraising event called Gamers for Giving, and it's a big land party. And I can remember um, years ago when we were first starting the event and we were looking for a venue, um, I was actually making use of um, the facilities at my college and having conversation with, uh, you know, sort of administrators and folks who were in charge of sort of building rental initially was sort of bizarre and, and difficult because, you know, our event, hosting a LAN party is like not a low maintenance thing. <laughs> you know, you have to, mm -hmm. especially for us, and we have to ship a lot of equipment to the building. We have a lot of sponsors that are sending things. And um, in the defense of our uh, student center at the time where we were hosting some of the very first iterations of Gamers for Giving, um, the type of event we were organizing isn't quite what they were built for. So there were things that we wanted to do that they uh, were a little hesitant to embrace. Um, not that they were wrong necessarily, but just that from an administrative standpoint, we had to do a lot of work to advocate for what, what was we were doing, why it was, uh, you know, of value to the student body. And um, I think aside from that, so there's a sort of like, you know, Sort of the cultural side of what we're doing from a fundraising standpoint and then there's also the advocacy of what we've been doing from like a healthcare standpoint and that is still an ongoing conversation i mean whenever we go into a hospital and here's what i mean by this um you know every hospital we work with is different and there are nuances in every healthcare facility um to bring this to present day we have a nurse who's a volunteer within our organization and he works across four different facilities and each of them is handling their procedures around, you know, COVID-19 a little bit differently. Um, and so similarly for us, you know, when we look at like implementing video gaming into hospitals and video game activities in, in tech, uh, every hospital we work with is a bit different. We have some hospitals we work with where 
there's a really, um, you know, uh, a well-built out infrastructure for internet capacity. Maybe they're encouraging kids to go online, play games with friends, et cetera. They might have TVs in every room in the hospital. Great. Um, there are other hospitals we work with where none of that exists. Uh, well, hold on, Zach. Let me let me back up because I want I'm curious. I want to make sure the listeners understand when you guys go into a hospital, you guys uh, are working to bring games to kids, and you have carts uh, that are are set up with consoles for various systems, and TVs are mounted, and then you have to get that to work within that infrastructure you're talking about. Am I correct in saying that? Yeah, that's exactly right. And I should back up a little bit. I am uh, going on a little bit of a uh, <laughs> taking a, going a little like a few. I'm taking a few steps ahead here. Uh, so yeah, let me, I'll back up a little bit. So Gamers Outreach as an organization, um, you know, like I said earlier, we're really focused on trying to make video games available and easy to manage in hospitals. And so there are a number of ways to do that. We have two core focuses or programs, if you will, at the moment. So we build these portable video game kiosks called Go-Karts. Mm -hmm. It's just an acronym, Gamers Outreach Cart. And basically, each unit is a uh, like a it's like a portable cart that has an Xbox, a monitor. There's a bunch of games digitally installed, and it's a device that helps healthcare staff uh, basically ensure video games are available and portable and very easy to manage inside hospitals. And we build these things for a number of reasons. Uh, the first is that we find in hospitals sometimes the hardware doesn't exist to make video game content available in the first place. So if you think about like, again, very basically like an Xbox, a television, uh, a way to like bring that bedside to a patient who maybe can't leave their rooms. Mm -hmm. um, the alternative is maybe a hospital has like an Xbox and someone like takes a meal tray, they wheel it to a kid's bedside and then they like unplug an Xbox from a playroom and then they go find a TV somewhere and they kind of like put this hodgepodge thing together. Mm -hmm. um, not to say that hospitals can't do that and they aren't, but that is really time consuming for someone like a nurse who has to perhaps interact with multiple patients in a given day mm -hmm. and to spend 30 minutes, you know, helping a patient set up a gaming console uh, or troubleshoot that. And then also obviously they're removing that from like maybe another area of the facility mm -hmm. is like really valuable time that otherwise might be used to like support patients generally. Right. Absolutely. So we wanted to create a tool that like removed all that. You don't have to know about video games. You don't have to worry about things being lost or stolen. Like everything is contained within this one cart. You plug it in and leave it next to the, the, the patient's bedside and everything just works. And so that's really the, the intent of the gaming carts that we build. And so they, they kind of solve a number of challenges, both from like a hardware standpoint in the hospital, uh, kind of a management um, challenge that exists in hospitals. And then also uh, they're just a way to you know, make games available. Mm -hmm. um, we have another initiative called Player Two, and this is kind of the second program we have right now, where we invite video game enthusiasts to come into the hospital and actually volunteer as digital activity managers. So they that is a fancy kids. title. It is, yes. Yeah. So the way this works is uh, it's it's almost like um, gamers are becoming a support layer to a hospital's IT department. Uh, or they're even just helping nurses, you know, uh, take like provide healthcare so that, um, you know, they there's there's more. T they're basically freeing bandwidth from nurses so that you know instead of them working on video games, they can go and provide healthcare, which is you know their job, right? So mm -hmm. um, what, what's happening is gamers are coming in, they're playing games with kids, 
they're solving tech support issues that arise, and then they're also helping to manage and distribute devices that exist in hospitals. So in some cases, that might be our gaming carts that we've provided. Maybe a hospital has a bunch of iPads that are floating around. Maybe they're renting out laptops to kids for the day or lending kids out you know, laptops and such. Um, so really, gamers are kind of coming in. We're basically applying our knowledge as gamers in a way that is supporting the operations of a hospital, which is mm -hmm. pretty cool. So it's almost like, imagine if you like worked at GameStop, but mm -hmm. now the GameStop exists in the hospital and you're <laughs> like, you're now providing help to all the gamers that are in the hospital that you know, need support with their devices so that the hospital can worry about other things. So that's, really, that's what we do primarily. So that's really, I, I, that is super fascinating. It brings up a million questions to me. So you're having to first identify the needs of the patient. Is the patient able to probably hold a controller? Are they able to get out of bed? You need the go-kart to, to move to them. Um, and then you'll probably also have to do the basic logistics of choosing the system, choosing the game. Uh, you know, what type of troubleshooting do you need? I would imagine you run through a lot of infrastructure questions with, with always online type stuff. Can you talk to me about kind of how you go about deciding what goes where and what games get chosen and, and things of that nature? Yeah, so those are all really great questions and super insightful. So um, regarding online connectivity, that's a, a, um, a big topic within hospitals for a number of reasons. Um, the first is that some hospitals actually don't have internet at all for patients in some mm -hmm. cases. Uh, Royal Oak, um, there's a hospital in Royal Oak, Michigan. Um, I was just visiting there a year or so ago delivering some gaming carts. And um, there was a kid that uh, was playing video games on one of the go-karts and he said, hey, am I, can I download Fortnite on the Xbox? And I'll get to actually the content in a second. And I said, well, um, we, we typically avoid like installing any games that have to do with shooting on hospitals just because that's a sensitivity, um, particularly in hospitals that are like dealing with kids who are maybe the victims of gun violence. Mm -hmm. um, so even like something that even though Fortnite to us is probably like fairly innocent and sort of Looney Tunes esque, um, you know, in the hospital it's still kind of a, a gray area, um, and sometimes just a flat out no. Uh, so I was telling this kid, I was like, well, you know, if if your parents don't mind and if the hospital doesn't mind, I mean, sometimes sometimes you know, hospitals actually are like. I also note that in some cases, if a kid is old enough, like I say, kid loosely here, like if a 17, 18, even into their early twenties, uh, sometimes young people of that age are in these children's hospitals for various reasons. Um, nurses are sometimes letting them play Call of Duty, right? They're also playing Grand Theft Auto if they're old enough, and 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 as long as that content isn't like going to kids who, you know, maybe the parents don't feel like that's appropriate for, mm -hmm. uh, that's fine. So, I said to the this particular kid, I was like, look, if you want to download Fortnite, uh, you know, go for it. If your parents are cool with it, the hospital staff's cool with it. I mean, by all means, go for it. He's like, no, uh, we we don't have internet in the hospital. Like, the, but does the I can't download anything. And so I was like, wait, you don't have, there's no Wi-Fi here? So some of these hospitals we work with don't have internet. So this kid, particularly for him, he, he, he's not able to really download anything. Uh, and so that presents a number of challenges for us in this day and age where, you know, there are a number of games that require some degree of connectivity mm -hmm. to like authorize a license or maybe even just play at all, period, right? Um, and so some of that content uh, just doesn't exist in, in, in these sorts of environments uh, for that reason. Um, now, thankfully, there are a number of games that, um, you know, maybe if a game requires like a check-in once in a while, like it, it, it's less of a deal. Um, but even then it requires like the hospital staff, you know, someone from the hospital going and, and you know, making sure that the consoles are relatively up to date. Um, now, what we do is if a hospital, now another uh, kind of piece of this is that 
sometimes a hospital uh, might have internet, but they place various restrictions on what they allow patients to do or connect to, if anything. Mm -hmm. Um, so for example, uh, children's Los Angeles, actually, like we have a, a few gaming carts rolling around in their infusion center. And this is a, a place where basically kids are coming for chemo. Um, and they're there for maybe like somewhere between four to six hours at a time. They're sitting in one place. And so, um, you know, there are different kids coming in. Sometimes they're, they're regularly coming in, you know, throughout you know a period of time, but like, um, it's, it's sort of like almost like a, I don't want say it's like a public area, but it's, you know, they're, they're, it's not like you're working with the same patient every day. It's like different kids coming in. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, the staff, they're not really able to actively monitor what kids are doing. If a kid downloads a game like Call of Duty, even if they might be old enough to play it and make that decision for themselves or their parents are okay with it, it doesn't necessarily mean the next kid, you know, is going to be, you know, they want the next kid to play the game. So they just sort of want like a blanket, you know, family friendly titles on the gaming devices. Right. Does that um, does yeah. that mean like are are you judging do they judge that by like uh, ESRB? Um yeah it, it it really depends so from the hospital standpoint they're judging it primarily from ESRB um, but they're also judging it from just like it's almost like imagine a parent walking into GameStop or Best Buy and asking the retail clerk hey is this game okay for my kid? Gotcha. It's sort I of a, it's kind of a subjective question right like um, the hospitals from the hospital standpoint most of the time. Uh, the blanket response is that if it's a family-friendly title that is unquestionable, like Rocket League, Minecraft, I mean, even Minecraft, like the You Died message that pops up at the end actually raised a flag with a hospital worker once. Um, I think for most people, it was it, that's only happened one time where I, I got that feedback, but um, I, I think for the most part, Minecraft's pretty family-friendly, you know, and, and, and no one's really going to question it. Um, Minecraft, Rocket League, you know, um, any of the Lego games, um, Zoo Tycoon, right? So games that are, like, generally, you know, there's not really any violence, pretty, like, non-controversial material, right? Mm -hmm. um, those games are going to be, you know, fairly accepted across sure. the board, right? It's, it's when you start getting into anything that involves, like, combat, fighting, you know, anything that would potentially escalate the rating of a video game, even if it's, like, E!, uh, that's when, you know, flags kind of start raising with hospitals and, you know, um, they start, you know, defining things a little differently. Well, sure. Yeah. And like you said, there are a lot of reasons somebody could be in a hospital and could be related to something they might see or, or experience in a video game. Plus the idea of a, you died message while it was only one person that raised that concern. I, I'm sure on some philosophical level, it, it factors into a thought process. That's an interesting, I would not have thought that. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll actually, this is something I'll, I'll, I'll dive into real quickly just to build understanding. You know, and this this actually speaks to the nuances of every hospital we work with. So, you know, if if, if you get killed in Minecraft by like a zombie or something um, and the you died message pops up, uh, the hospital that gave me that feedback, there, there are kind of two viewpoints on this topic. Um, one of the hospitals that gave me that feedback said, look, you know, we have kids that honestly are are facing that potential outcome in their lives. Um, they might pass away and we don't want to present them with any sort of messaging that maybe reminds them of that. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm not taking a standpoint one way or the other here. I'm just reporting, you know, what I've been sure. being told. Um, so that's their take, right? Is like, hey, we, we want to make this a happy place, a place that's remind, you know, you know, reminding kids of life. And um, and that's the, the, the viewpoint we're, we're sort of taking and, and why we want to avoid this sort of messaging. Now, I have another hospital that will say, hey, actually, I 
don't mind that message there because it's actually a way for me to talk about death mm-hmm. with a family member or a child that might have be going through it. And this is how I, I'll take this thing that they're familiar with and I'll use it as a medium to communicate, hey, you know, you're, somebody might be passing away and here's what that means and here's why that's part of life and here's how we you know, think about that and move forward from that and deal with that. So, you know, each that's, that's really, there's, there's very two different kind of schools of thought there. Right. And I think a lot of it's very highly contextual, right. Um, you know, really part of the job of nurses and, and there are these other people we work with frequently called child life specialists who are basically like pseudo parents in the hospital. So they kind of are support staff for doctors and nurses and, They'll help um, you know, families navigate the hospital environment. They provide activities to kids throughout the, the hospital. Um, oftentimes, they're the ones that are you know, working with kids and playing video games with kids. And um, they have to have these conversations a lot with, with families. And, and it's really up to their judgment to decide, OK, do I want to use this Minecraft screen to talk about you know, maybe passing away in this way? Or do I want to use it in this way? And, mm-hmm. um, and so games are just sort of a, a you know, maybe a medium and a conduit to, to start those conversations. And so you go about, so you get to factor a lot of those things in there. Uh, to the more technical side, how do you decide what systems to put into these code carts? Well, that's at the request of the hospital and what sort of age group we're dealing with. Um, so most of our gaming, most of our go-karts have Xbox consoles installed. And part of the reason for that is um, we do a lot of work with uh, sort of the teenage demographic. Mm-hmm. And um, part of that is just that there aren't very many groups making things for teenagers in hospitals, right? Like if you think about how the typical person probably perceives children's hospital, like if I just say, the you know, that, that sort of phrase, um, oftentimes when they like round up toys to donate, they go out and buy like Barbie dolls and, you know, um, teddy bears and, you know, Lego sets and, and whatever it might be, right? Because everyone kind of thinks like, you know, when you hear children's hospital, oftentimes it's, it's common for people to think like 12 years and younger, you know. Right, yeah. Age. Even um, I do, like when you say that, I think kitty toys kind of thing. If I wasn't looking at pictures of Gamers Outreach right now, I would factor that in. Yeah, 100%. And to be honest, our, our photos, you know, we, it's funny, we, we talk about a lot, like, there's so much storytelling we could be doing in hospitals, and it's just a, kind of a bandwidth thing for us right now and, and trying to scale to that point. But, um, you know, I, honestly, I was in that same boat. When I first started, you know, the work we were doing at Gamers Outreach, it wasn't until I started really touring hospitals and working with staff that I realized, holy cow, there's basically a, a population in these hospitals, again, sometimes that are here for months, that is forgotten about by the general public or not widely known enough. And Mm -hmm. that is, hey, in some of these facilities, there are 15, 16, 17 year olds in these, basically high schoolers in these hospitals. And they are, you know, bored out of their minds. Like the way I try to describe it to people is like, it's kind of like, imagine getting on an airplane. And, you know, nowadays on a typical flight, you've got Wi-Fi, maybe there's a TV in front of you that has some movies. You have snacks. Uh, the flight is four hours, five hours. And so you, you take a nap, you write some emails, you catch up on a movie. And, and generally, you like can make use of the time in a productive way and maybe in an entertaining way, right? Mm-hmm. Um, well, imagine you're on that same plane, but there's no Wi-Fi. There's no TV screen in front of you. Your snacks are pretty limited if they exist at all. I mean, you're, you're basically maybe on some sort of monitored diet. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, you don't feel well. 
and your flight isn't four hours, it's like a week. Uh, that's basically what these hospitals are. It's like being in a, in a box and your, you know, the things that you have access to in your sort of normal day-to-day -day life are like really shrunk down and limited. And then by the way, if you're a teenager, uh, these buildings and these facilities, they often have things that, you know, they receive an abundance of donations that are geared towards, you know, younger kids. Um, and it's not uncommon for hospitals to have like basically, you know, storage rooms that are just filled with toys. You know, it looks like a, like a, like the back room of a Toys R Us almost. Um, so you're working with a forgotten demographic almost, you know, not totally. intentionally forgotten, but they feel forgotten. So, so you go and, uh, Xbox is their primary. You're aiming to hit these teenagers. Uh, where do they come from? Who's paying for them? If, if people are donating teddy bears, where do the Xboxes coming from? Great question. So the way Gamers Outreach works is a lot of our programs are driven by donor involvement. So for example, um, you know, someone don't like basically we're the ones buying them and gifting them to the hospitals for the most part. Sometimes uh, if inventory is available or, or if there's a team at Xbox that's able, uh, we'll receive donations of consoles, which is super helpful when that happens. Um, in mm -hmm. fact, uh, the team from the coalition, who are the creators of Gears of War, mm -hmm. um, they just donated like 200 Xbox consoles to us, um, wow. which is like phenomenal. Yeah, we've got some pallets recently, so we're going to end up equipping those to gaming carts. <clears throat> um, so the short answer is that we're the ones providing this gear to the hospital, right? So whenever someone's like donating to Gamers Outreach, um, we basically take those donations and use them for a number of programmatic things. Um, you know, a $20 donation uh, can help us send, um, you know, maybe like an upgrade kit to a hospital where we mail out like a hard drive with some new games and, and that helps cover the cost of like providing that to the hospital, sending it back and then providing support, you know, to like help the hospital walk through what's going on. If someone donates $50 or $60, that might be new controllers for a, a gaming card or other devices in the hospital that we can replace if they've been like cleaned with bleach one too many times, uh, mm -hmm. or maybe it's new gaming content. You know, if someone donates a hundred or a few hundred dollars, maybe that's a gaming console we can donate. Now, we actually allow people also to build full-on go-karts. And the commitment to build a go-kart is 3,500 per unit, but that includes a number of things. So it's the cart itself, it's the gaming console. We install a bunch of video games on that console. And then we also hire staff on an ongoing basis who are supporting that device. And I'll get to that later. Not only like prepping it for the hospital, but then they're also providing indefinite support. Uh, that also includes the controllers, the monitor. Uh, so we, we have everything that kind of makes a go-kart. And then that also includes the freight shipping. So we build everything in Texas and we ship it to hospitals around the US. And then we provide setup support. So we'll either send out a volunteer, we'll coordinate to, to send somebody to the hospital to actually help you know get the unit assembled once it arrives. Mm -hmm. And then we provide indefinite help to the hospital. So if like five years from now, a hospital hits us up and says, hey, and actually this just happened the other day. I got an email from Children's Hospital Oakland and they have some gaming carts that were donated you know, many years ago. And the Xboxes are um, a little dated at this point. So they reached out and they said, hey, uh, do you guys happen to have any um, Xboxes? We'd like to upgrade our gaming carts. And we said, we actually do. Well, thankfully we just did our big fundraising event. Uh, we're gonna go ahead and send you some Xboxes that you can use to upgrade your existing hardware. So we just donate that to the hospital. Um, and that's great because the hospitals you know, from a hospital standpoint, and this is why we're organized as a nonprofit, um, you know, this is a huge generalization here, but, you know, a, a common way to think about nonprofits is we basically exist to support customers that cannot pay for the goods and services we offer, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you think of a, a homeless shelter or like a food bank, that's exactly what they're doing, right? Um, in our case, 
when it comes to healthcare and hospitalization, um, and this is kind of part of the cultural, um, you know, evolution that I was talking about a little bit earlier, you know, research and treatment are the priority. And so the idea of a hospital, you know, purchasing video games or, or buying other things is, is, is basically, you know, kind of lower down on the list. And I'm not saying that's wrong, right? I'm just saying that's, you know, matter of fact, that's kind of how it is. Well, yeah, between a breath, between, you know, some a needed device for a procedure to a video game, it would make sense to objectively choose a life-saving thing versus an entertainment piece. Fully agree, right? I mean, you think nowadays, right, if you're like, I need to buy a ventilator for a patient, or I'm going to buy right. an Xbox, right? It's like, okay, well, clearly buy the ventilator. That's, that's mm-hmm. the point of a hospital, right? So that's where we exist as a nonprofit is because, you know, what we can do is come in and say, hey, hospital, you all recognize that you know video games are beneficial to patients while they're here and these are incredibly helpful but it's just not something that the hospital can maybe even afford to do um and even if they can't afford it again that goes back to like sometimes the staff may not play a lot of video games themselves and, and maybe they're really great at taking care of patients and providing care but you know they just they're maybe they're not gamers maybe they just don't know like oh i need to update the xbox and, and that's fine so that's where we come in as, as a nonprofit. And when someone donates to support a go-kart, not only are they building that single device, but then they're also giving us a margin to be able to reinvest in the program year over year and continue to support hospitals on an indefinite basis. So that's kind of how we function. Do you have to do any special uh, discussions with, with Microsoft or Nintendo or anybody? When Because um, when you said a moment ago that you had to ship out hard drives, that would suggest that you're preloading games onto that hard drive uh, to, in some cases to, to go with an Xbox or that you're having to adapt to, to putting games on there. How are you working through licenses? If money's, if money from donors is paying for the games and the, the units, how are you working through like installing games or, or purchasing the game? Who does it belong to? Uh, what profiles, how do you work around that kind of stuff? Yeah. I mean, we, the way we set it up, it's kind of like a land center in some ways, um, mm-hmm. where we basically create an account on the Xbox uh, then we purchase all the games, you know, sort of as anybody would. And then the Xbox goes and lives in this gaming cart that that rolls around the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's pretty much it. It's pretty it's pretty, pretty much as straightforward as that. Oh, OK. So I, I suppose because I'm so biased in my and fortunate in my own experiences, I'm linking to, to internets and Wi-Fi's and credit cards and, and all that jazz with my profile. You don't have to you don't run into any logistical issues there. No, I mean, this, this goes back to like kind of a highly nuanced topic, you know, in the work that we do, which is mm-hmm. um, we'll create like a generic profile for the games we install. So like if we let's say we build a go kart for like Seattle Children's Hospital, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we'll make a profile. And this is part of what our staff does is with Xbox particularly, we'll make a profile like SEA go kart number one. And on that profile, we'll associate, you know, we'll download a bunch of games that are associated with that profile. And then we're actually tracking that on our end and we'll share that login information with the hospital. Mm-hmm. And so if the hospital is in a situation where they don't want kids to connect to the internet, we'll actually install, it's called a loopback plug. Mm-hmm. Um, we have this like ethernet cable that basically kind of like feeds itself a signal. And so it prevents the Xbox from like seeing the Wi-Fi in the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that way, whatever the content exists is, is sort of like what permanently, or I should say indefinitely, you know, indefinitely exists kind of on the Xbox until it runs its course, mm-hmm. right? So that'll exist in the hospital. Now, if the hospital says, oh, you know what? We would like for Johnny, you know, to uh, play games with his friends. Maybe they'll plug the internet in. They'll let Johnny download his own profile, and then he's just using the Xbox, and you know, he's he's playing games as he would as if he were at home. So 
Um, if the hospital, we really put it in the hands of the hospital. I mean, we'll, we'll download, we'll, um, deliver the cards with, you know, pre-existing content and we create mm-hmm. profiles in advance, but if the hospital says, Hey, we have our own ideas for this, it's really kind of on them at that point. I see. Very cool. Very cool. Now I would argue that anybody in the medical field is faced with a number of, uh, incredible emotional and philosophical challenges. Does gamer in your experience with your time at gamers outreach, have you seen, uh, moments that maybe broke your heart or absolutely made your day. I would imagine you see a lot of happy things as well. Are there any standout emotional aspects to this that make your work more enriching or difficult? Yeah, I mean, the answer to that um, in both directions is yes. Um, I'll say, uh, I don't talk about this super often, so this is like this is a highly personal thing here, but um, I grew up in a very, like, Christian household, mm-hmm. and I'll definitely admit that, like, working with all these hospitals has, has made me really philosophically question a lot of like pre-existing beliefs. I think my parents kind of programmed into me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm still kind of wrestling with some of it, to be honest, like on a sure. personal level. Um, I, I go back and forth frequently about like some of the things that I think about, um, kind of on a, on a sort of just generally like philosophical level, um, Absolutely. in terms of like living life and, and, and sort of you know, our role, uh, in this great big universe and existence and things like that. So that's like super, that's a, I'm not a, uh, uh, I, I still feel like I need to do a lot more reading and sort of reflection on that topic, uh, over time. That all to say, um, there are a number of like, uh, inspiring moments that we encounter on a daily basis. And ultimately, I mean, doing this work, um, you know, feels incredibly meaningful, I think, as a video game enthusiast, as someone who's passionate about games, but also just practically, um, you know, we're, we're, it's very obvious that we're making a difference for kids and their families. And I'll tell you a couple of stories. Um, I had a, a dad that I was interacting with, uh, this is maybe a couple of years ago, um, whose son had a blood disease. And he basically has this, his, his son has a, a bunch of tubes running through his body. And he basically, you know, he can't, it's really, um, he, he can walk and things, but it's, it's difficult for him to move around, you know, at, at, uh, at a fast speed. Like he can't go on the playground really and, um, you know, participate in like sports or, or sort of physical activities like that. And so his dad was, and he, this kid has a younger brother as well. Um, and so his dad was saying, you know, I'm really grateful that you guys have been providing these video games to the hospitals. Because for me, as a parent, um, you know, whenever my son and I get the chance to play Ninja Turtles together, that's how we spend time together. He loves Ninja Turtles. <laughs> We're playing this Ninja Turtles game on the Xbox. And, um, you know, I can't go on the playground and toss a baseball baseball or a football around with my son. And so instead, we, we do this. And this is how we, we get to spend time together and get to engage in activity. And then on top of that, um, you know, his younger brother, they get to play together. And this is how they play together. And so, you know, games for this particular, you know, family were how they engaged and enjoyed activity. And without games, it's they're they're I mean, the options would be way more limited, right? And and so I think it's cool to know that games are this conduit that help support that sort of interaction. And it's really made me reconsider like the just the the power and idea of like what games are as a medium. I mean, I really think of them as the synthesis of entertainment as we've known it to date. You know, you think about music, film, writing, games are basically all of those things, except now there's this layer of interaction that has really never existed before. So if you're a fan of Star Wars, as an example, you know, 
you can you can go deeper into the story you can explore the worlds you can look at every little nook and cranny that is designed and like just you know spark your imagination in ways that, that really just weren't possible before or like we were saying earlier you can socialize with friends you can compete and these are all things that that didn't exist right like you know when i was growing up uh so i'm like i'm 30 now i was born in 89 and sort of in this it was kind of in that stage of like knowing the world before the internet and then really like seeing it sure. from like dial up on. Uh, but I remember like there was a playground in my neighborhood and I go to the playground, there was a sandbox. And so as a kid, you know, when you went to your neighborhood sandbox, the only other kids you could really interact with were the kids in your neighborhood. Well, now thanks to video games and the internet more broadly, that sandbox is global. So instead of you being limited to, you know, just the kids in your immediate vicinity, you can now go out into the world and you can find kids that have the same interests as you do. You can, in a way that never existed before, if you're like the one kid at your school who's interested in a topic, and even if you maybe even get picked on for it, you can go out into the world and find out, like, actually, it's not weird that you think that thing is cool. Like, there's a whole bunch of other people that think that thing is cool. Absolutely. You know, I was a kid. I remember, like, when I was in high school, like, I was the kid, I mean... Like I said earlier, I was on sports teams and such, uh, but I was like the one kid at the lunch table that like loved Final Fantasy and loved like these you know other games that uh, you know, maybe my friends weren't playing. And so I would like get excited. I want to talk. I want to talk about like guys. I'm just playing this game. Uh, I'm playing Lost Odyssey right now. It's amazing. It's on the Xbox 360. You should totally like. Okay, you know people never really. I was just like alone basically. But I, at least I could go on the internet and be like, oh my gosh, there's this whole world of people out there that that also appreciate this. So that's where I just think the medium is is so powerful uh for so many reasons and um it's really incredible so again I, i'm going on kind of touching on a few different topics here but um i'll, I'll tell you this last story and i don't mean to long, be long-winded i apologize but um this one story that's a little more medical focused we had a kid we were working with who had a really severe burn on the side of his arm and every few days nurses were coming in to change out bandages um and it got to the point for this this kid that uh, you know he was so anxious over the process Six different, six different nurses were holding him down to complete the procedure. Mm-hmm. Uh, one day, somebody found out he liked playing Lego Batman. So they wheeled in one of our gaming carts before his procedure was supposed to happen. They let him play video games. And by the time the nurses came to change his bandages, uh, this kid was so focused on the game, he, he really didn't really care <laughs> that the procedure was about to happen. Mm-hmm. It went from six nurses helping this kid down to two. One to change his bandages, the other to hold one end of the controller so he could keep playing Lego Batman. Ha! Huh. And so all of a sudden, this kid's having a better healthcare experience thanks to video games. The nurses are having an easier time doing their job. And then there's an economic argument to be made for the hospital because those four other nurses that were once supporting this patient can now go and support other patients. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting to see games. And again, I, I mean, this is just two stories of many. It's interesting to see games have this sort of impact uh both in terms of like the patients valuing them the families valuing them but now they're being actually like a, a very practical economic argument on behalf of the hospital in terms of like how we're leveraging technology as a way to like help patients stay engaged and active mm-hmm. oh, that's brilliant and i would imagine the economic and business argument there helps you sell people on an idea where they might be emotionally detached, but by the way, I mean many doctors, have, of course, force themselves to be emotionally detached. That's that's a, a wonderful tool for for marketing your idea to helping people. That's wonderful, wonderful. So tell me this: 
how do we help? How, how do people that, that are interested or are hearing about gamers outreach, uh, how is the best way to go about helping? I would imagine many people are uh, in unique situations right now due to COVID. What's the best way for gamers to go about supporting this mission? Yeah, well, anyone can find out about our efforts uh, by checking out our website, gamersoutreach.org. Um, folks can make a donation. Uh, they can register to volunteer. Um, volunteering is a little different right now with COVID happening. Um, you know, like I was saying earlier, our Player 2 program uh, is typically an initiative where people come into the hospital and volunteer. Uh, but right now, because of everything happening, um, volunteering across the board generally is pretty much on pause at all hospitals. Mm -hmm. um, however, we're still providing remote support. So if a hospital has questions about an Xbox, we might be connecting them with someone on our team or a volunteer who can you know, help provide support in that capacity, which is super great. So um, people can register for that. Uh, people can donate. I'll note also that even though our Player 2 initiative is on pause, uh, our go-kart program, in the last week or two, we've received more requests for our go-kart devices than we have in any other week in mm -hmm. the last like 13 years of gamers outreach history um and those and are $3,500 carts right yes exactly and it's it's like the whole package right so the cart is not necessarily $3,500 but to, mm -hmm. to build deliver and sustain the carts that's the commitment we have set to help make that happen and um and yeah so I mean what happens is when we're fundraising for these devices um oftentimes we have hospitals come forward that say hey you know, we would love to have one of those things in our facility, and uh, but we just maybe don't have a donor or somebody internally that can like help us acquire that. So we will create a wish list, and what happens is as we accumulate donations, then we're able to like kind of move through that list and and gift those units to hospitals that are requesting them. Mm -hmm. um, and that's actually the intent behind our annual Gamers for Giving fundraiser. I kind of got sidetracked from my story earlier, but the video game tournament that I that got canceled in high school uh, led me to want to create a LAN party to at least demonstrate actually the positive things that happen when us gamers get together around what we're excited about. And that LAN party is now our annual fundraiser. It's called Gamers for Giving. And uh, we host it each year and it basically supports the work we do in, in hospitals around the country. Um, so anyone can donate to, to support our work. We just wrapped our annual Gamers for Giving fundraiser. We raised like almost $700,000 over the course of the event, which is pretty phenomenal. Um, and so we have a number of streamers who uh, were involved with that particular fundraiser, and they've all raised money to support hospitals of their preference. Uh, if someone's in a position where they can donate a full $3,500, we'll allow people to you know, either fundraise or, or just straight up donate themselves to build a gaming cart for a hospital of their preference. And even if someone can't donate that full amount, but they can donate $20 or $50, like I was mentioning earlier, all that stuff usually gets added up to us being able to eventually you know, support these hospitals they're reaching out to, to ask. Um, so right now, with COVID happening, um, you know, our go-karts are really built specifically, typically for patients who can't leave their rooms. It just so happens now, none of the patients can leave their rooms. And mm -hmm. so what's happening is like in these hospitals, uh, you know, in an effort to encourage social distancing, even the kids who are well enough to go to playrooms or maybe, you know, move around the hospital a little more freely, they're all being restricted to their rooms. And so staff are kind of working, you know, overtime to go room to room to room to room to help check in with all these kids at the, you know, that are they're going through hospitalization. And so what we do is just now more prevalent. And the reason why what we do is more prevalent than ever before. Um, and so the go-kart side of what we do is, is quite active right now. Mm. Well, Zach, well, I appreciate your time. Uh, I appreciate the mission that you guys are on and that you have for gamers outreach. Uh, is there anything else, parting words for our people before we go? 
No, I, I mean, I really appreciate the time, Luke. Thanks for having me on. And I'd say if anybody wants to follow along a little more actively, we're on social media as well. Uh, Twitter at Gamers Outreach, Instagram at Gamers Outreach, and Facebook as well as at Gamers Outreach. Thank you.